Uh, well, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Psalms uh, 98. We're going to be in two passages this morning. We're going to be in Exodus, back in Exodus chapter 15, and in Psalm 98. And uh, I'm going to read both of the passages for us. As we enter back into the story of Exodus, looking at God's song of salvation. I have two songs of salvation. I'm going to read just the first few verses of, of uh, chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of God sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed grace, gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. And then now turning to Psalm 98, another song of salvation. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break into joyous song and sing Praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise for the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, this year we've been journeying through Exodus, and we took a few weeks off uh, with Easter, and now we're, we're back in the story of Exodus. Uh, Exodus is a story of God's liberation, of the salvation that God brings for his people. And this week in chapter 15, we're in a little bit of a pivot in the book. Chapters 1 through 14 is God's liberation for his people from slavery in Egypt. But the problems that they experience in life don't end with slavery. The problems continue in chapter 16 and following. And, and now we're going to start uh, walking through God's work amongst his people through the wilderness. But before we get to those challenges, we find in Exodus this song. We see a song about God's salvation. And music has a way of ministering to the soul. Uh, music speaks to our past, our present, and our future. Uh, music speaks to our past. In fact, it can bring the past into the present. Um, Stevie Wonder, he puts it well. He says, music at its essence is what gives us memories. And the longer a song has existed in our lives, the more memories we have of it. A good song uh, can remind you of particular places and particular people in your past. When I hear 90s hip-hop music, it reminds me of high school. 
and I'm brought back to a place of driving in my 95 Ultima with the seat down and the windows down and hearing bass uh, from speakers that were not designed to, to uh, play this kind of bass from Juvenile and DMX, rattling. When I hear 90s hip-hop music, it brings me back to, to that place, remembering people and my old car. I want to hear Nora Jones' music. It reminds me of college and meeting Megan. You can see the you know, difference of hip-hop music and Nora Jones. And reminded of meeting her and us becoming friends and, and beginning to date. Hearing particular music and song can bring us back to a place. It also ministers to our soul because it, it gives voice to our pain. And can comfort us in the brokenness and struggles of life. Bob Marley says of music, he says, One good thing about music, when it hits you, you feel no pain. It can bring comfort and nourish and care for our soul. Music also moves us forward. It moves us toward beauty and, and what is right. Uh, Plato, the Greek philosopher, he, he puts it so well. He says, music is the movement of sound to reach the soul for the education of its virtue. Music can, a good song can move us toward beauty and what is right. The song in Exodus and the song in the Psalms, it can give perspective on our past. It can minister to us in the present. And it can move us toward beauty and God's best in our life. And so this morning, as we look at these songs of salvation, we want to ask, how can they minister to our soul today? How can it speak to the past, to the present, and move us toward a glorious future? How to tune our heart to God's song of salvation? First, we look at the past. And we're reminded in the song that, we, that in singing God's song of salvation, it begins by seeing. That we need to see the beautiful work of salvation. In the text in Exodus, uh, verses 1 to 2, it says, I will sing to the Lord for, there's a reason behind the singing, for he has triumphed gloriously. In Psalm 98, it begins, O sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. There's a reason to sing. And the reason is the salvation that God brings. We begin singing first by seeing. And in seeing God's work of salvation, we see our need for salvation. We see the need for God's deliverance. Celebration always begins with sorrow. Seeing God's deliverance always begins by seeing brokenness. In fact, in Exodus, the story begins, it summed up the pain of God's people and their cry for liberation in Exodus chapter 2. And summarize it this way, it says, during those, many, uh, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant people, his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And God saw, God sees, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The Israelites up until this point, they had seen pain. They had seen power used against them. They had seen their own powerlessness 
in the midst of it all. They had become acclimated with struggle. Before celebration, there is sorrow. Before a song of triumph, there are tears that are shed. What are the tears in your story? What is the sorrow in your life? Do you see a song to give to God, a praise to God, being one that could potentially include lament? What tears are in your story? Uh, recently, I was speaking uh, with a mentor of mine, and we were reviewing an uh, assessment that I had gone through, uh, answering a bunch of questions, and other people who knew me answering a bunch of questions. And as we're reviewing it, he asked me, he said, Jay, do you experience anxiety? I was kind of struck by it because I don't think of myself as a particular anxious person. And I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't really think I do experience anxiety. Uh, and he said, well, let me put it to you another way. Do you experience burdens in life? I was like, well, maybe, maybe a little bit, but I don't think I come across as anxious. And I don't think I come across as burdened. And he said, Jay, I'm not asking how you come across. Because your peers and the people who filled out this profile, they do not see you as anxious, but you see yourself as anxious. That you can feel these burdens and you can feel this anxiety and yet you display togetherness. So he asked me, what do you do with that anxiety? What a question. And what I come to see, what I came to realize is that I experience and I internalize the problems of me personally and the problems of others, and I rarely bring them to God. And my mentor he asked me, he said, Jay, what place does lament play in your life? And of course, my mind, no, hey, we do lament sometimes on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I understand it's important. I, I can preach on it. But to personally practice lament, to come before God, bringing our problems. In order for God to bring salvation, it begins by us bringing to him our brokenness. Celebration is always preceded by sorrow. But it doesn't stay there. You know, God's people, they see God's beautiful work of deliverance and salvation. God's people see God show up and part the sea and they walk through and experience liberation. We first see the brokenness, but we also see the beauty, the beauty of God's work in our world. Do you see God's beautiful work of salvation in your life? You know, it's tempting to uh, read stories of God's work in delivering his slavery from Egypt and think that that's how God's always going to show up. You know, if God shows up and parts a sea, there, that's a work of salvation. And we miss all the little ways that God redeems and works in our world, and in our life. And really what we need is a new way of seeing, a new way of viewing God's work in the world. All of us see life through a particular perspective shaped by our culture. And I think our culture, our consumer-driven culture, which consistently preaches to us a message of lack and need, it shapes us. And so we can see world, we can see the world through the lens of just needing more, of scarcity, of not being enough, of not having enough. Our consumer different 
uh, driven culture can shape us in ways that we, are pri- we primarily see what we don't have. And we can miss the beauty of how God is working. In her gorgeous memoir, H is for Hawk, Helen MacDonald tells the story of raising a ghost hawk after the death of her father. And it's a story of grief, of grief and loss and even, even resurrection. And on one occasion, she's joined with her friend Stuart in the English countryside, and she's trying to raise this hawk to learn how to fly and hunt again. And they're discouraged, and she's disappointed because the hawk won't seem to fly. So her and Stuart are walking back through the countryside, back returning to their cars, and we pick up in the story. Stuart stops dead. Stuart, look, he says, look at that. What? I say, turning and shading my eyes. I I can't see anything. Look toward the sun. I am. Look down. And then I see it. The bare field we'd flown the hawk upon is covered in gossamer. Millions of shining threads combed downwind across every inch of soil. Lit by the sinking sun. And the quivering silk runs like light on water all the way to my feet. It is a thing of unearthly beauty, the work of a million tiny spiders searching for new homes. I stare at the field for a long time. And what McDonald experiences in this moment is revelation. Those shimmering threads that had been there the whole time while standing in the field and being frustrated and disappointed that the hawk wouldn't fly She experienced the coldness and disappointment in life. But now, seeing from a different perspective with a new word, now she sees beauty. The same place, the same moment. Our world trains us to see need, but we must see more. We must see the ways that God wants us to see his beauty. And Jesus, his whole ministry is to to transform how we see the world. We need to see and memorialize God's beautiful and gracious acts of deliverance. So my question for you is, what beauty do you see in your story? What are some of the particular ways that God is bringing redemption in your life? You know, one of the, one of the ways God has often worked in my story that I sometimes fail to appreciate and to commemorate and to praise him for are the people that he brings in. The people he brings in to speak a kind word. The people he brings in to love in particular ways. Are the conversations that can point me toward what is right and good and beautiful in the world. What are the ways that God is working in your story? Don't just see the brokenness, see the beauty of his deliverance begins with seeing, but also it leads to surrendering. We surrender to the king of salvation. Both the song of Exodus and the psalm are songs of praise, songs of worship of God. And not just praise in a general sense, but praise in a very personal sense. In Exodus it says, for the Lord is my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. My strength, my song, my salvation. The psalmist puts it this way. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Begins with sing and then it leads to surrender. Surrendering to our King, our King of salvation. Now you might not be able to play, what do they call it, a lyre? or a harp, or a trumpet, but all of us are worshiping something. All of us are surrendering our heart to a God. And there are a number of ways to discern where our heart is attached and what we're surrendering to, but one in particular, one way to know and discern what you're surrendering your heart to, who has become your strength, your song, the source of your salvation is of what you will most readily and easily put money into. What you can rationalize and justify using money toward. Now, uh, Megan and I, about a little over a year ago, were in New York City. And when we were in New York, we just had to go to a Broadway show. And I remember uh, first learning the cost of going to a Broadway show in New York. And we're waiting in line to get discount tickets, waiting in line for hours at one of the little kiosk things. And uh, it's taking a long time. And then learn the cost that even the discount tickets are a few hundred dollars. And I'm thinking, babe, let's just rent a movie. Let's just rent a movie, go back. We can watch it. I mean, you know, we can take a break anytime, any kind of intermission. You know, I mean, I, I didn't want to spend that amount of money on a Broadway show. Of course, Megan, she, you know, she wanted to. It would be worth investing the money in. And of course, she put it to me like, well, you would be easily spend that amount of money on a sporting event. And I'm thinking, well, hold on. A sporting event's very different, okay? <laughs> At a sporting event, you know, the team needs us. They need me. They, my team, you know, I, I have something to contribute. If I don't cheer, what will they do? They wouldn't know what to do. See, I can rationalize spending the same amount of money on a sporting event, but a Broadway ticket. What can you readily rationalize spending money on? Who are you surrendering your heart toward? You see, here's the thing about entertainment or surrendering money toward your kids' sporting events. It cannot strengthen you in your ultimate time of need. We begin, we see God's work of salvation, and then we surrender to him as the one who is ultimately good in our life, that his song is a good song, a beautiful song. You might be thinking, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, This song of God seems a bit harsh. I mean, what did it say in Exodus? Did we admit, did I hear that right, this God of war? Why are God's people singing and celebrating the destruction of their enemies? It's a song of judgment. And then even the psalmist, he puts it at the very end. Uh, It's so interesting. He says, make a joyful, joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. And then at the very end, it says, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And if we're paying attention, we think, wait, hold on. What, what move just happened here? Uh, what, what, what's this God of judgment singing about that? I mean, 
It's kind of like inviting people to a party. Bring the guacamole. You know, bring your best dish. Let's come and celebrate. For God is going to judge the world. Well, I, I see a disconnect here. What about this God of love and salvation? And now we're praising him for his judgment? Why would I surrender to this kind of God? But when you see the narrative of Scripture and where it's going, the whole Bible can open up. When you understand the judgment, the justice that God is bringing right here in this tension, how God's judgment can be good. When we see here, not just Exodus, that when God says he's going to throw uh, his enemies into the sea, we see in the psalmist praising God for his future judgment, that he's going to judge the world in righteousness. How can that be a good thing? How can that be ultimately good? Here's how. Because this God will experience ultimate judgment on our behalf. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For our sake, speaking of Jesus, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, how can we yield and surrender and kneel before this king? It's when we see that he yielded to death on the cross so that we could experience life. That Jesus was thrust into the sea of God's judgment so that we could be lifted up to walk on new ground. This God of justice experienced justice so that we could be made righteous and new. And this is good news. This is why we can praise and worship this king who used power not to consume, but gave up power so that people could have life. This is a beautiful song, a song of beauty. And that's why we, we sing, we gather on a Sunday morning and we sing songs of praise and response and worship to God. We sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. God's song of salvation. It begins by seeing brokenness and then beauty and then surrendering to God's marvelous work. But lastly, how do we then sing this song of salvation? What does it look like to, to sing this in our life? In the Exodus text, it begins, I will sing to the Lord. In Psalm, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing praises to the Lord with, with various instruments. <laughs> uh, we respond in seeing this God of salvation, surrendering to the King of salvation, and then singing a song of salvation. And two ways we, we do this practically today. The first is literally singing and praising God. <laughs> uh, singing songs of salvation through artistic expression. Uh, one scholar puts it this way, speaking of how Christians often engage the arts I think he sums it up well. There's, another, there's a tension here. He says, In my experience, the Christian painter or poet, sculptor or dancer, is regularly regarded as something of a curiosity to be tolerated, humored even, maybe even allowed to put on a show once in a while. But the idea that they are or could be anything more than that, 
that they have a vocation to reimagine and re-express the beauty of God, to lift our sights and change our vision of reality is often not even considered. You know, as Christians, we need to have a renewed appreciation for the arts and their expressions and how they can not just communicate God's story of salvation in you know, sin and resurrection, but God's beautiful story at work today. They can bring and elevate the tension and brokenness of life and can communicate and bring us into beauty. As a church, we need a renewed appreciation for artists and the work that they do. Another author uh, lists the ways that Christians discourage artists. And, and take note of a few of these. And if you're an artist, maybe you can relate. Uh, here's some ways that we can discourage artists. Uh, first, treat the arts as a window dressing for the truth. Another is to embrace bad art. And he puts it this way, tolerate low aesthetic standards, only value work that is totally accessible, not difficult or challenging. One example would be digital images and photography on PowerPoint as a background for praise songs. Hmm. Value work that is sentimental, that doesn't take risks, that doesn't give offense, that people immediately get. We need to appreciate the tension that art can bring in life, that it can communicate in ways that don't, just don't easily solve it. Another way is to value artists only for their gifts, to value musicians just for producing music and not allow their thought and perspective to shape how we think and lead and live, to value artists only for their gifts. Another is to never pay artists for their work. Uh, to expect that a photographer, if they're a friend of ours in the church, that they'll just do their work for free. We value people by con contributing uh, so they can do their work and use their gifts. And lastly, we can idolize artistic success. Uh, not leave room for people to experiment, to take risks. There are a number of ways that as Christians we can discourage artists and the contributions that they bring. And so a few thoughts. What does this, can look, this look like? Uh, one, artistic, art and artistic expression is a good thing. And it should be valued and appreciated in the church. And all of us are invited to create. All of us are invited to express. All of us can sing. And you might think, but you don't sound very good when you sing. Well, join the club. I sound horrible. I do it anyway. All of us, no matter where you are on the talent spectrum, are invited to express creatively toward God, to praise Him, to sing about Him. Um, also, if you're here and you're an artist, we want to make space for you in this community. We want this to be a safe place for you to think and experience experiment and to express. We want you to be valued, not just for your successes and your gifts, but allow you and invite you to bring the tension into life. Artistic expression should be valued. It is a gift from God. We worship a creator, God, and he's instilled in us as people created in his image the capacity to appreciate and sing about beauty. Artistic expression is a gift and should be treated that way, but also 
How do we sing this song of salvation? We sing this song of salvation by making the song of salvation visible through artistic expression and through living our life. Uh, One rabbi, uh, Abraham Heschel, puts it this way. He's speaking to young people. He says, I would say to young people a number of things. I only have one minute, like his sense of urgency here. I would say, let them remember that there is a meaning beyond absurdity. Let them be sure that every little deed counts, that every word has power, and that we do, everyone, our share to redeem the world in spite of all absurdities and all the frustrations and all the disappointment. And above all, remember that the meaning of life is to live life as if it were a work of art. All of us are invited to sing the song of salvation by bringing, by making what is invisible visible. How are you revealing the God of salvation in your life? What does your life reveal about God? What does it say? What is it communicating? And one way we can think about this is how do we as a community, as a church, what are we revealing about God and his grace and beauty and love in the world. Now, recently I was talking with a young lady who's finishing up her last year at Whetstone, and she's a very talented musician, and, and I asked her why she enjoyed playing music, and she mentioned that her favorite part of playing music was being a part of an orchestra. How when everyone plays their part, it comes together to make one unified and beautiful sound. And what a picture of what God invites us into as the church. That we don't just reveal God through our own individual acts of grace and kindness, but collectively, as a community, each playing our part, God can communicate the beauty of the salvation he brings. How, what are you revealing about the goodness of God? And what are we, as a community, revealing about the goodness of God and the salvation that he brings. Let's tune our hearts to God. Let's see the work of salvation, that there is brokenness and beauty. Let's surrender to the king of salvation, that he is the one who can ultimately bring life. And let's sing the song of salvation through artistic expression and a life that reveals his goodness. Let's pray. Father, tune our heart to the song of your marvelous love and gracious salvation. Help us to see your work, the beauty in the midst of the brokenness. And may it be a song among other songs. May it be our song. Shape us by the sweetness of your salvation that we may live in harmony with you and reveal your goodness to the world. It's in your son's name and by the power of of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.